9, 12, 10, 28, 2, 23. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to another edition of the podcast. I'm David Rothkopf, your host, coming to you from New York City, because it's that time of the week, also coming to us from Washington, D.C. We are a friend, Dr. Kavita Patel, formerly of the Obama White House, also currently of the Brookings Institution, currently practicing medicine and currently doing okay. Everything good, Kavita? I mean, apparently we can all run around with masks off, David. So, According you know, to the CDC. Like, According <laughs> like to, you know, be damned what kind of evidence we're asking for a vaccination, but let's take them all off. Yes. Well, I got to tell you, New York City, nobody takes their mask. Like, I know, I'm shamed, and you know, but I think it has it has a lot to do with like the more educated and the more wealthy and the more white the population, the like nastier the looks get when you're outside 20 feet away. So you know, I gotta, I gotta. Yeah, no, no. If you take the mask off, people think you're a trumper. Yeah. And as a special guest here, um, courtesy of a recommendation of Kavita's. Uh, we are very pleased to be joined by Virginia Senator Jennifer McClellan, who is uh, one of the candidates for governor in Virginia today. And I thought this would be a great chance to get a sense to talk about politics in America in one of the most important kind of bellwether states that we've got. Um, uh, welcome, Senator McClellan. Thank you, David. Thank you, Kavita, for having me. So, Kavita, you were the person who recommended we talk to the senator. Why'd you do that? Yeah, so I, uh, she and I have a friend in common who um, early, I, I want to say Senator, even before you announced officially, but it might've been right around there, but um, you did kind of a town hall, a virtual of course, but you did kind of a town hall and you were just talking about like what you fought for in Virginia. And I kid you not, it, it, it was texting with our, our mutual friend, Janelle. Um, and I, I said to her, I said, this reminds me of being literally in the room with Stacey Abrams at like a very small meeting that the Center for American Progress put on. I think it was now like eight years ago, seven years ago, mm -hmm. something like that. And it was almost as if the same things coming out of her mouth were coming out of your mouth and just like really being calm and talking about kind of almost like a masterclass in education on the state of childcare and the problems and how much like in your case, kind of talking about the effects of the pandemic. And I said, um, you know, I, I, I said, I know she's not gonna wanna hear this, but like, it just reminded me so much of Stacey Abrams that despite anything polls say, predictions, et cetera. I was like, this is someone I want to know. And I just in full disclosure, <laughs> I gave money to your campaign. Um, I've I've been, and it's, it's funny because I've had friends who have said, oh, you know, what's her likelihood? And I said, I don't care. What was Stacey Abrams' likelihood? And what was, <laughs> what was our investment in women of color who are literally like, changing the like we wouldn't have s1 we wouldn't have like any of these things without like the foundation so i think it's great i want anyone listening to get a chance to get to know you and so hopefully you can be as forthcoming as possible and we're well well thank you and first of all i i love uh i love that comparison um <laughs> and, and what's you know funny story when i first met stacy abrams because we're about the same age 
Yeah. We both were in the legislature about the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had, had, I had started meeting other black woman legislators around the same age. And they're all like, you got to meet Stacey Abrams. Cause she's like the Georgia version of Jennifer McCollum. And this was before she was running. Stacey, for right. Yeah. And when I met her and I'm like, oh man, like we hit it off really well. And then when she ran for governor, I was so excited. And at the time I didn't think that I would be running for governor, but like, you never know what happens. So she inspired me, I guess. Well, we will make sure to refer to her in the future as the Georgia version of Jennifer McClellan. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) No, she's, uh, I don't know that she'd like that, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, she should. I think you've been a, a very strong voice in this race. Um, uh, you know, with strong positions and things like voting rights and child care and education and criminal justice reform, which are, you know, the, it's interesting to me. Um, I used to live in Virginia. I live in New York now, but I, I lived in Alexandria. Um, Virginia always struck me as kind of a perfect microcosm of mm. what the U.S. was going through. Yeah. Um, because Northern Virginia was kind of blue and Southern Virginia was pretty extremely red and Northern Virginia, the state was changing. It was more of a red state. Now it's more of a purple state, but it's becoming bluer and bluer all the time as the country does. It's sort of a bellwether about change in in Southern states. It's so close to DC. It's always affected by all of that. I'm wondering, do you see that? I mean, do you see Virginia as a kind of a bellwether? I do, um, you know, and, and part of it is is with our off elections, we often predict what's what's going to happen. Um, in two thousand and nine, in particular, we predicted the rise of the Tea Party, um, and we saw it beginning in here in Virginia. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do think we're a bit of a microcosm of, of the rest of the country, um, and and still, but with with the added. I don't know, like, we can't forget, at least here in Virginia, we can't forget, like, America started here. (laughs) And so we have this, like, we've been on the right side of history, we've been on the wrong side of history. Um, So we almost take pride in being a bellwether for the rest of the country, both, you know, in good times and bad. Let's talk a little bit about about the specifics of the race. Um, uh, There's there's several strong candidates in the field. Um, uh, I, I think I'm, you know, I'm not a you know, political commentator per se, but I, I think it's fair to say that you all kind of got big footed by Terry McAuliffe coming back into the race. Um, and he, you know, f- as a former governor, because I, I think in Virginia, you're not allowed to run for the right. election, right? So he's sort yeah. of coming back into it. He's got a lot higher name recognition. What do you think are gonna be the distinguishing factors when it comes down to the final vote? You know, I think Virginia voters are ready for the next generation of leadership. They're ready for a woman, they're ready for a woman of color, Um, but they also want somebody with experience who can get things done on on day one. Um, And Virginia, I mean, first of all, Virginia is very different from where we were a year ago, uh, let alone four years ago. And I've seen that out in the field, I've seen that in the legislature, I've seen that in the polls. Um, and and I, I think the, the pundits who look at this as a very conventional race, the candidate with the most money and the most name ID is, is automatically gonna win are, are, are missing 
um, some key things that have happened on the ground in the past four years, like the rise of grassroots organizations, you know, many of which were laying the groundwork for the blue wave in Virginia um, and, and the changing demographics of Virginia. So it's, um, it's a very fascinating race. When's the primary? June 8th, although early voting's already started. Mm -hmm. uh, well, that's, that's important for people to know. I'm gonna go back and forth with questions with Kavita. Kavita, what, what would you like to ask? Yeah, I'd love to know, um, Senator, how just, be, I, I did hone in on kind of issues that are very important, I think, to Virginians voting mm -hmm. rights. Um, and kind of the assault we're seeing by many states, by the way. And I also, I maybe want you to pair kind of what you see as a way forward around those issues, because if anybody knows Virginia, I've never lived in Virginia, but I've practiced in and kind of around and have patients from Virginia. And I see two, you know, it reminds me of, of I'm from Texas and David's lived in, in other states where you to two totally different countries inside of a state, you know, and yeah. you go to Northern Virginia and then I go to, you know, just kind of an hour outside of Richmond or Blacksburg where let's not forget the shootings and some of a lot of like um, blood has been spilled in parts of Virginia on yeah. black people. So talk, can you talk a little bit about what happened, what, what your kind of not just position, but what you see and then I don't want you to be too negative, but I do fear that if this goes by way of kind of whatever people consider conventional norms, that Virginia could have, um, unfortunately, leadership which, which would put us in assault on human rights and voting rights oh. in particular. So I want you to just give, talk about specifics there, if you don't mind. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, Virginia began its reckoning with racial injustice um, before George Floyd's murder, um, really with the Unite the Right rally. Um, and, and we began in fits and starts to have conversations about racial inequity in all of our systems. Um, and then with the, the blackface and sexual assault scandals of February, 2019, um, we continued that conversation. And then George Floyd's murder, um, really, there was this shift in the air that I could feel out in communities, out in the middle of the protest. It was almost like, it's almost like we've crossed that line of we've got to do something and we can't just be, we can't just talk about it for a few months and then go back to business as usual. And that's that combined, coming off the heels of Democrats taking control of the legislature in the 2019 elections, we made generational change in the legislature. And then we made generational change in a, in a special session focused on police reform and criminal justice reform. And it just keeps continuing. And voting, and, and we're leading the way in the country on voting rights. Um, we just passed the Voting Rights Act of Virginia, which I carry with Delegate Marcia Price. Not only is, are we the first state in the South to have one, it's one of the strongest in the country. Um, but you're right, all of the progress we made on voting rights, it was on a party line vote. And if Republicans take control of the House, which is also up this year, um, or any of the statewide races, the first thing they're gonna do is try to roll it back and roll back progress we made on reproductive rights and access to healthcare and, and access to you know addressing climate change, all of which are bills I carry. Uh, and got passed. So it's almost personal to me, not only like I've got to win this race, 
but I've got to protect generational progress that we made in a very short time that is transforming Virginia and is very popular with Virginians as a whole. Um, so there's so much at stake in, in, in 2021 in Virginia. And how do you, just as a follow-up, because um, so much of this is now being defined literally by kind of party line, do you have, uh, based on your previous work in kind of the state or even outside of the state, how do you, it's kind of an unfair question, but how can you bring either Republicans along or how do you strike kind of that bipartisan compromise so that yeah. you, hold, you hold off what I think is becoming a, pl a party platform, by the way, like these are becoming the playbooks, right? So yeah. what, what, what can you do? Um, what, what is, what's possible? Economic prosperity is like a higher order. What, what do you do? Well, I mean, first, remember, I spent 14 years in the minority party. When I when I first got elected to the House of Delegates, I was a 32-year-old Black woman from the most Democratic district in the state in a body that was mostly white Republican men over 50. I had to learn how to understand their perspective and point of view and where they were coming from, not be afraid to share mine and share others that weren't represented in the room. And that's how I was able to get over 200 bills passed in the minority party. Um, because I may not agree with you, but I need to start from a place of there are reasons why you believe what you believe. Now, let me see if I can understand them. Now, on some issues, we're never going to agree. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, I fight for what is right in, from my perspective and what Virginia needs. So I know on abortion and guns, we're never going to agree. Mm -hmm. On voting, um, we're probably not going to agree. But there have been times when we have. So this is not the first wave of voter suppression laws we saw. In response to Barack Obama's election, we had that wave in Virginia. And I, I stood on the House floor in 2010 to fight against a bill that would have required a government issued photo ID. I told the story of my great grandfather having to take a literacy test and find three white people to vouch for him to register to vote and said, this is why voting rights is personal to so many Virginians because we had family that had to fight and in some cases die to get it. And I talked about how Virginia's history impacts our present and we, I killed that bill. Um, I told the governor, the then Republican governor of Virginia that same story and talked about how laws passed in 1920 led to people in Virginia born as late as the 40s not having a birth certificate, which you need for a government issue photo ID. And when he got a bill to his desk requiring a photo ID, he amended it because he remembered that story. That's how you make progress is you, you don't just stand and shout at each other and say, well, because you want to do this, you're a racist. Um, you say, look, here is how this will impact people. And if you start from a place of respect, maybe you convince them. If you don't, you just fight like hell to stop what they're trying to do. Um, and on many issues at the state level, we can find that common ground. Again, guns, abortion, not gonna find that common ground, just fight it out. But most issues, we do find common ground. Well, you know, again, going back to this bellwether point and picking up on what you've just said, I, you know, I don't think it's an exaggeration to suggest that the, not just the Virginia election this year, but the 2022 election in the United States is gonna turn on voting rights. It's gonna turn mm -hmm. on whether the Congress can guarantee them. It's gonna turn on whether 
the scores of states that are trying to change them, change them. It's going to mm-hmm. turn on whether the courts uphold it. Um, and, you know, I think we're kind of at a pivotal moment with regard to democracy. When I look at Virginia, yeah. I mean, I only know the Virginia governor's race, you know, from reading the Washington Post and, and so forth. But it seems like there's some pretty Trumpy characters on the Republican side. Mm-hmm. Oh, who, yes. Who, who are part of the anti-democratic majority in the Republican Party. Yes, there are. Um, but they're out of the mainstream with Virginia voters and with with most Virginians. And 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 what's been interesting over the years, they, the Republicans always overreach. And when they overreach, there's a backlash. And and I think by Republicans overreaching in Georgia and Arizona and, and Michigan, people in Virginia understand like that could happen here. It you're has not, happened. You're, you're not going to restrict the bamboo content of ballots, like mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, we're not going to felonize giving somebody water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would like as long as there's there's breath in my body, we will not felonize giving someone water in line to vote. But um, it's I see on the ground people who have seen the difference elections make in their lives and in the progress that we've made, and they're ready to protect that progress and build on it. Um, and they're not going to, they don't want to go back. And we need to make sure we nominate a candidate who, who feeds into that enthusiasm. Look, it can, we cannot just be about using fear and hatred to motivate people to vote because they're tired of that. We've got to, we've got to say, look, there's a lot at stake. Yes. We, here's what's, here's what happens if they get elected, but more importantly, here's what you get by voting for me. Here's what you get by voting for Democrats. Here's what you got <laughs> since we took the majority. Do you want to keep it? And you're voting for that. Um, and and we've seen time and time again. That's how Barack Obama got elected. It wasn't about um, just. It, it was giving people hope again. And if there's anything people need in 2021, it's some hope. <laughs> you know. Um, and I see it every day when I'm able to get out in communities, which I'm, I'm able to do more now, I mean, even through the Zoom, I, I hear it every single day. People are starving for, they want to trust that government can solve their problems again. Um, but they're lose, they've, they've started to lose faith that government can solve their problems again. And here in Virginia, we're starting to restore that faith. We gotta build on it. Can I ask you, Jen, just to talk, um, to shift gears, but it actually builds on that faith. Um, you've, when I heard you speak now several times, uh, I resonated so much with your kind of uh, policy positions, as well as just your comments on childcare. Maybe put, I've looked at Virginia's statistics on kind of the effects of, the, I'm obviously a more of a health person. So I've looked at kind of the effects of the pandemic on businesses, on mm-hmm. women kind of coming out of the workforce. You, I, I know you know, because I think you've talked about it, you know, Fairfax County came under a great deal of, of uh, fire because of, you know, they were the ones earliest to move to virtual learning and one of the mm-hmm. latest ones to kind of return to in-person learning. How, how do we think about, I mean, we have a lot to recover from with the effects of this pandemic, yeah. um, childcare being one of many pieces, 
but somebody's got to pay for all this. We're also dealing and kind of reeling from the budget effects. You, as a state leader, um, you don't have the luxury of what the federal government does, right? To run the deficit and do what you need. How do you get what we need to do to get out of, to get women back in the workforce, to get children back into childcare? By the way, that's also of decent quality, pre-K, mm-hmm. all of that. How do you do all of that and, 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 and balance a budget? What are some of the ideas you have, ways to, to kind of make that happen? And what can other states learn from that? Yeah, so a few ways. First of all, we are about to get, um, we've already gotten some, but we're about to get a huge infusion of money from the federal government. So that's going to help. One time money that you can use for a lot of the infrastructure needs that you have. Um, So so that's part of it. Um, But part of it is restructuring your priorities and recognizing how investments early in childcare and early childhood education means you pay less in, in, in bringing those kids that aren't kindergarten ready up to kindergarten readiness, you know, in the first few months of school and you, you pay, you, you, you save money later on, um, you know, when you address the root causes of crime, you save later on having to arrest and incarcerate people. So that's part of it. We've also seen in Virginia, our budget's actually relatively done well because we rely so heavily on the federal government, but we've seen an explosion in internet sales and we're now taxing internet sales in a way we weren't before. We're about to have new revenue from casinos and, and marijuana legalizations. And, and we also are in the middle of a complete study of our tax structure to create a more progressive rather than regressive tax structure that actually funds all of our needs. So, and that work's already happening now. So that in some ways is how I'll pay for it. And through that, 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 that study report will come out before I'm ever elected governor. Um, and, and, but a big part of it is just recognizing early investments pay for themselves later and you shift your priorities. I'm following up on that. I've, I've, I've talked to a number of folks in the Congress and in the administration over the past couple of months about the plans of the Biden administration. And, um, you know, I think at first pe- people were like, well, this American jobs plan is an infrastructure bill. And what does that have to do with some of the stuff in it? And what does that then have to do with the American families plan? And one of the best points that's been made to me over and over and over again is that childcare and education are infrastructure. Yes. And that it's not, you know, Mm -hmm. right, that it's not, you know, it's not just building a road. If somebody gets childcare, they go into the workplace. If somebody gets education, they, you know, are more competitive in the workplace. If you want to grow the economy and you don't have, those programs, those buildings, those things funded, it's just as damaging as not having the -hmm. physical infrastructure. And I was just wondering what you think of that, how it applies broadly. I absolutely 100% agree. Um, You cannot go to work as a parent if you don't have childcare. Um, You cannot be kindergarten ready if, 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 90% 90% of your brain is developed by the time you're three, then the equity gap begins at birth. And so part of laying the foundation for K-12 education is early learning. I don't know what 
if that's not infrastructure, what is it? Um, and, but here's what's hard. And, and people are just starting to figure out that part of the infrastructure was ignored because for at least 200 years in our country, it was provided for free, mm-hmm. free labor. Then it was provided at very low wages because those were the jobs that were relegated to black and brown people and were exempted from minimum wage or, or paid very low wages. Now folks are starting to see, hey, wait a minute, this, this is actually very valuable work that lays the foundation for the rest of our economy and for everybody else to work. If that's not infrastructure, I don't know what it is. That is just as important to our economy, to our society as roads and bridges. So I when I heard the president speak, I, I like about jumped out of my chair because I'm like, finally, we hear a president recognizing how important the care workforce is. My mother, every woman on my mother's side of the family was a domestic worker mm-hmm. at some point in their life. Um, most of them for their entire life. So I understand how fundamental domestic work is to every other job there is. Um, so yeah, I'm very, I'm, I'm hopeful that that his plans pass quickly. <laughs> How, how can, oh, sorry, go ahead, David. No, I was no. just going to ask one follow up. That's okay, Kavita. I think it's a subject that's oh, yeah, please. No, close no, no, to your please. heart. So yeah. maybe you can comment on it after too. But, you know, it seems to me, you you know, you're you're so right, Senator, when you talk about the burden of this fell on, on Black and Brown Americans for a long, long time. Also, of course, women. And, mm-hmm. you know, now if you're a woman and you want to be in the workforce or if you're uh, in a in 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 the bottom part of the economy, and you don't have the ability to pay for childcare. You 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 need these things, um, and changing the national attitude towards them, towards having a right to having those things, seems to me. You know, we're, you know we talk about what's ha- these bills are as you know as kind of uh, you know as another legislative proposal. Republicans try to cast it as as just business. But, but it's a big sea change. And the same is true yeah. with education, where essentially what the president's proposing is two years at the front end and two years at the back end. Mm-hmm. Education used to be, you know, it, it, it used to be through, you know, elementary school and then high school. But now, you know, people are going to school for 12, 13 years, if you count kindergarten. And they're talking about adding 25% more free education to every American. You know, including as you say in the in the pre-K department, at the mo- at the time of the highest value added. To me, that mm-hmm. sounds like a watershed, like a mm-hmm. big turning point in the it way the U.S. works. And so, I, I just wonder your reaction. It, it is it is a watershed, and 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 frankly, the first policy proposal I announced as a gubernatorial candidate intentionally was universal childcare and early learning for that very reason. Was because we need a sea change. We need people to understand childcare is not just about babysitting. Childcare is about empowering parents to be able to work. And it's about, it's about laying the foundation for our children's education and economic prosperity going forward. Um, you know, when my son started kindergarten, his teacher told me the biggest change she saw was kindergarten used to be where all the soft skills were taught 
Now it's all academic. She mm-hmm. can tell on day one which kids had some form of early childhood education and which ones didn't. Mm-hmm. And academically and sort of social emotional, mm-hmm. she had to bridge that gap for the first month of the school year. Mm-hmm. And, and I theoretically understood that, but when I started hearing the stories about which kids were getting in trouble or which kids were falling behind, I saw it. And what's also transformational is you have more people in policy positions who that's their life experience. Um, and so it's, so when I first got elected to the house, when we talked about pre-K, there were people who were like, oh, that's just babysitting. Why should the state have to pay attention to that? Why should we have to pay for that or worry about that? It's not babysitting. So now we have a president who says, this is infrastructure and this is fundamental to economic prosperity. Is, is I mean, sea change is like an understatement, but it's very exciting and, and it just fills me with hope. I interrupted you, Kavita. I'm sorry. No, no, I, I wanted to, um, we could spend hours with you. So hopefully you'll come back and, and, uh, and even when you're governor, hopefully you'll come back. So <laughs> the, the first on, on D- so I have like kind of one hard question and then I just can't help because there's so much about um, watching you watching state, I mean, Lauren Underwood, who I used to work with and Stacey Abrams and I've, you know, Kamala Harris and like so many like women of color kind of coming into their own. So I do want to ask the soft question of, um, I know this road has been hard. It's not done. So, you know, what more can we do to encourage more women, women of color to step forward? Cause I'll be honest, it's, I'm, I am a hundred percent certain that you, there are days when you're like, I don't need this. You know, I'm, I, I can do uh. fill in the blank. I'm sure that's the case. So that is a, kind of my soft question. My really hard question is um, I'm often, I, I know you've had to talk about it, but I haven't had the benefit of hearing you talk about the answers, um, policing injustice and, mm. and thinking through that incredible balance that uh, you will, you have exhibited and will have to exhibit as governor. And again, going back to like Virginia's many states within a state, uh, what, what, what have you learned from watching how, uh, what you've had to do and also watching your colleagues, peers and others, and then watching what you don't want to do? Yeah. What, what would you do? Like put yourself um, in that situation. And as state senator, you do have to do that. You have to speak out on behalf of your constituents, but you've got the gubernatorial kind of um, mantle. What do you do? And what do you see as a way forward? Because I find myself not feeling like this is a black and white issue. And I, I don't mean to say that. Mm-hmm. And so but anyway, t- teach us a little more and tell us kind of how you approach it. And then I do um, want to, I, I do want the soft question for my daughter. That we that, can encourage. <laughs> an hour just on that. Um, yes, I, it's not fair. Uh, well, it's, look, the way I approach that is the same you approach every, every issue is you recognize that there, 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 there are, there is more than one Virginia. There's more than one perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, the policing in, in, you know, Gilpin Court in Richmond which is the oldest housing project in Richmond, looks very different than, you know, policing in suburban Fairfax. <laughs> but when you have, you know, I was amazed. We had our debate in Bristol, Virginia, the very tip of Virginia. 
Um, and they had a police officer who that morning was indicted for murder for police involved shooting, you know, and it was a white guy. And so I think the first step is saying, is recognizing what are all of the different perspectives and help them understand each other. So the fact that I, as a Senator could stand up and tell the story of when a police officer pulled a gun on my father because he was watering plants in my backyard and my next door neighbor's mother didn't recognize him. I, I can tell that story and say, look, you've got to understand this is why some communities are afraid to call the police because they're afraid when they show up, somebody's going to get killed. Um, and I told that story in the debate um, or I tell the story about my, look, my 10 year old son who watches videos about children killed by police or killed by gun violence and asks me the question, can that happen to me? And I have to tell him it could. That's an experience other people don't have. And so recognizing, look, we're not gonna always agree, but I'm gonna make sure we're talking to each other and not yelling past each other. I'm gonna always explain to you why, when I put forward a comprehensive police reform plan, the reasons behind every one, and I'm gonna talk to the police to say, okay, how, like, tell me what perspective I'm missing because there may be something I'm missing. That's the way I've approached every issue. And you cannot be afraid to have those hard conversations. Um, they're not always, and, and, and one of my biggest frustrations as you can probably tell by my answer to this, I hate that politics has become the 60 second answer mm -hmm. and, the, and the 30 second soundbite to issues where if we're really going to solve them, we need to spend hours talking about how do we, you know, what's the problem? Who's all affected by it? Who are all, what are all the perspectives we need to understand? And then let's fix it. Um, now as governor, I can do that in office while still having the public facing conversations and uplifting those perspectives that usually aren't uplifted by a governor. Um, and, and that's a big part of why I'm running, frankly, is to bring a voice to people who have not had their voice centered or heard in state government in a very long time, if ever. Um, really, really uh, important comments. And, and you know, as I, I, was, I was listening to you, I, I got a little distracted because I was thinking, you know, on the show, we're so DC centric. Mm -hmm we tend to have the same old policy people on over and over. And yet, um, as has been observed by many people, states are where the job's getting done. Yep. State legislatures are where the job's getting done. The Republican party is focused on that much more attentively than the Democrats have for the past 25, 30 years, yep. uh, which has resulted in gerrymandering and changing mm -hmm. the rules and changing the number of seats and so on. And, um, and we got to do more of this because I, I find you're addressing the issues in a, a, you know, you have all the vision of the year in the Washington discussions, but also the granularity that comes from dealing, dealing with it on a daily basis. So I'm enormously grateful. We wish you the best of luck in this campaign and however it turns out, whatever happens afterwards, because it's clear you've got a great future out of you. Uh, 
as well as having, by the way, a great past for full of accomplishments so far. <laughs> um, and um, and as Kavita said, I hope hope you'll come back and join us one way or another, because uh, I learned a lot, and I'm sure Kavita did as well. Yes, I'm a huge fan, continue to be. And so we've got uh, a lot more conversations to have. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, and frankly, that's why I, I chose and love state government so much, because like that is where it's happening. <laughs> well, right. Yep. And, you know, sometimes Washington gets calcified um, yep. or mm-hmm. or inertia, you know, you know, Henry Kissinger once said the most powerful force in Washington is inertia. Um, and it's just very hard to change things. And, yeah. and so where does it get done? It gets done at the States. Um, so we wish you luck with that. Um, I will circle back afterwards. Thank you very, very much. Hope everybody who is listening to this will go and do more research. Um, and you will find out that uh, Senator McClellan really has a lot to offer here. And, um, uh, I, well, and you know, we hope if you agree, you'll support her. So thanks, Senator. Thank you, Kavita. Thanks to everybody for listening. Find out more of what we've got in store. Go to the dsrnetwork.com. If you feel like supporting us, click on membership and provide us with some support so we can do more of this. Uh, have great conversations like this. Thanks, everybody, and uh, stay healthy out there. Bye-bye.